through the apostles, through Jesus, through the early church, the early saints. I love the word contending. I want to be a part of a people that contend. That means that fight, that actually it matters. There's grit involved. There's push through. There's sacrifice. There's dedication. It's real. Lives really matter. The gospel is the most glorious, powerful thing on the planet. The church is supposed to be a city on a hill. The most powerful society is supposed to be the church. We're not mostly supposed to be known for how stylish we are, how like the world we are, how wise we are, even how loving we are to the world. Jesus said, they'll know you by the way you love one another, not by the way you love the world. Sometimes we get it mixed up. I see so many people, I hate the church, but I love the world. So you got that backwards. The world's going to know you love Jesus when you love the church. You love, right? Amen? So I want to talk about this contending. And the apostle Jude said this. He said, dear friends, although I was very eager. Mark's passing around notes if you, if you, if you need them. And I'm not going to hit all this on the first one. But please, take it home, study it. So, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge to contend earnestly for the faith once entrusted to all the saints. So Jude, even in the early church, he's already starting to exhort them to contend with vigor for the faith that was just given to them not even 10, 20, 30 years back. There's already deceptions and there's already um, paradigms that are shifting the gospel to the early church. And I didn't include this in here, but Joe, Jude goes in to say right after that these men have secretly slipped in among you and are teaching that grace is a license to live in compromise, particularly sexually. And so he was kind of warning this early church that was still in its infant stage trying to escape the corruption you know, Jude, it says somewhere that these people, they promise people freedom that have just escaped the corruption of the flesh and of the world. They promise them freedom when they themselves are slaves of their own depravity, meaning people are enslaved to their own issues, but they're living a false sense of freedom and they're pro- proclaiming it to everybody saying, there's freedom, there's freedom. But they said they're actually making those people slaves again to their carnal nature. So there's these different realities. So Jude's exhorting this church to contend. So I like to use the term apostolic Christianity because I like that word apostolic. But you could put in there biblical. You could put, um, I'm thinking of another word, supernatural. Depends what stream you like, what's kinda, you know, what kind of tea you drink. It's all the same. But I like the word apostolic. And so when I say apostolic Christianity, all I'm saying it's the form of Christianity that the apostles preached practiced and lived. That's what I mean by apostolic Christianity. So we want to contend for the quality of faith in both doctrine, practice, and community that the apostles walked in. So I break that. And I'm going to go through these really quick. Again, you can go through them on your, on your own. I'd encourage you to do that. So I break that down to three things, the apostolic faith. The first one's apostolic doctrine. Doctrine is not a f- cool word in our culture. So funny. Like I'll talk to people. They're like, well, I don't want to be religious. I'm not into doctrine. And then they'll spend 20 minutes telling me their thoughts and feelings about God. And I say, well, that's some good doctrine. All doctrine is is thoughts and feelings about God. So doctrine's a good word. We want good, solid doctrine. We have to read, especially the charismatic church, we got to stop calling everybody religious that's not like us. Because God's been moving powerfully in the Reformed theology movement. 
in setting some doctrinally things aligned. So we want to not resist that. So apostolic doctrine, Paul said to the young apostle Timothy, watch your life in doctrine closely. Be very serious about what you believe about these things. Particularly, it's in the context of grace, sin, sexual immorality, what it means to live a holy life. Paul's exhorting Timothy, listen, this isn't something to joke about and to compromise about. Pay close attention to your doctrine. Persevere in them, meaning it's going to be contested. It's not going to be cool at times to follow sound doctrine. He's saying persevere. Why? Because if you do, if you persevere, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Wait, I thought Timothy's already saved. He's an apostle. And Paul's saying you need to continue to persevere in order to save yourself, continue saving, continue in this path and your hearers. It's very serious. Apostolic doctrine. The second one is apostolic power. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but power, 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 healing the sick, casting out devils. I love this scripture about Philip in, in Acts 8. And the reason I love it, let me just read it first. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Here's what I love about that. I love that the demons are coming out. And hell and the powers of hell. It's, there's an announcement that hell's been defeated by the death of Jesus Christ. And he rose and conquered and made a public spectacle. I love that. I love that people are getting healed. I, that I live for the day I see a lame person get healed. I'm grateful for a leg growing out. I'm grateful for an inner healing. I'm grateful for some pain going away. But by God, there's coming a day where we will see the lame walk. Philip saw it. And here's the deal. Philip wasn't even an apostle. Sometimes we relegate this stuff and we say, well, Paul, that was Paul. I mean, he's a super apostle. And then there's Peter's shadow. They were apostles. This is Philip. You know what his job was? It says earlier, they signed him to serving tables. He was just a guy like me and you. He wasn't super spectacular. And then persecution came. So he got scattered. So he just ended up over here and he's just preaching the gospel. He didn't have a, a, a vision of an angel telling him to go preach the gospel. He didn't have some supernatural encounter. The man of God didn't come and lay hands on him. But the God man was inside him. And he saw the apostles, how they lived, how they proclaimed the gospel, how they preached. He knew what to do. This was basic Christianity for these guys. Ananias, you know the story of the guy that gets the vision, he comes, lays hands on Paul, Paul's blindness goes away. That was just a normal Christian. Had a dream. Go pray for this guy. Okay. He's healed. Normal. So we got to contend again for apostolic power. It's not okay. I don't want to be okay with the version of Christianity that's about me thriving in my family and in my life and in my career and in my job. And there's no power. I don't want to, I don't want to feel like it's okay and try and be happy with it. And I, you can redress it up, put cool music to it. I don't want it. I want the power. And I'm grateful for when it happens in small, I, any bit. I just love it. I love it. Any bit of power, any bit of a release of authority, any bit of deliverance. We've got to be grateful for the small, but I want, I believe where we're headed, it's going to be very big. Jesus said, greater works than these would you do. And I believe that before Jesus returns, the apostolic church will be as powerful or more powerful than the first century church. So the third one is apostolic community. So we have the doctrine, 
So important. And I want to exhort you, get in your Bible. Get in your Bible. I can't tell you how many Christians I talk to and they're just confused about life. What's going on? I need, what's the will of God? What's, I mean, and I, and I said, what's your life like in the word? Well, don't be religious. I'm telling you, there's such a need for clarity in this hour. There is such a need for the renewal of the mind to have a grip and an understanding. There is a war being waged for the souls of men right now. We're mostly checked out. We're mostly on the sidelines worried about our own life. And this is me. I'm talking about myself. And there's a literal war being fought. And I'm telling you, the Lord's enlisting people. He's enlisting people. He's enlisting some of you right now. Right now, you're feeling it. And you're saying, I was born for this. Here's the thing. We're waiting for it to happen. And the Lord says, stop. Do it. So apostolic community. It says, day to day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness, sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Beloved, can you imagine the days where multitudes are added daily? Can you imagine the authority that was resting on those, that group of believers? They're eating each other's homes so happy. They're just seeing hell being bankrupt. They're seeing sicknesses healed. They're seeing demons coming out. They're seeing numbers added daily. The momentum. We're unbreakable. We're unstoppable. Even when they kill us, it grows more. That's where we're moving into again. And I believe Natasha is a seed. I don't know. Some say, did God take her? Did the devil take her? I don't know. I don't know. I know this. All things will work for the good. So apostolic community. Just 70 years after Jesus' ascension, it was clear that these distortions came into the believing community. I won't go into all that. Well, I will say this. Revelation 2. This is an important emphasis. I want to be sensitive to the time, but I'm telling you this is powerful. It's about to be powerful. It's about to be powerful. I just want to pray right now. Holy Spirit. God, I ask that you would apprehend hearts right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for fire. We just say we're not afraid of zeal. We break agreements with a soft, sensual approach to who you are. We want the fear of the Lord. Lord, we want sobriety in this hour. We want sobriety in this hour. Lord, I refuse to live and see children taken. It's over. So, he says in Revelations 2, he's saying to the church in Ephesus, which was one of the most powerful churches at that time. Ephesus, it changed the whole city. I mean, the church in Ephesus was strong, baby. It was powerful. Okay? But Jesus says to them, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. Jesus calls people wicked? Jesus would never call somebody wicked. Jesus, that's not very Christ-like. And I'm saying that flippantly and sarcastically on purpose because we've such embraced the Jesus in our own image. We need to read this thing again. I heard one guy say, you know, Jesus would never put anyone down. I'm going, man, have you seen the things that he says? Because I don't know if you really have read this. Have you read this? This is, this is serious. So he says, I see that you can't tolerate wicked people. Do you tolerate wicked people? I don't know, even know what that really means, but I don't know. 
So it's, you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. In other words, it says you've exposed apostolic pretenders. And what was happening was these men were sneaking into the church claiming to be apostles. Claiming to have this authority that those apostles had. But their doctrine wasn't right. They were, they were teaching them to commit sexual immorality. They were coming in and endorsing lifestyles that were unbiblical. They were false apostles. And Jesus is exhorting this to Ephesus church. He's actually saying, good job. These apostolic pretenders came into your midst and you exposed them. There's men and women in this city who say they're apostles. I don't know if they are, if they're not. I really couldn't tell you. People say, well, how do you know if someone's an apostle? To be honest with you, I don't really know. But I'm hoping that it'll have something to do with cities and breaking out into riots and paralyzed people getting out of wheelchairs. I'm hoping that's at least a part of it. So I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. I'm in all humility. I don't know. So he says, you found them false. You have persevered and endured hardship. Yet I hold this against you. You have forgotten the love you had at first. Now, how many of you have heard that one? You've forgotten your first love. Mostly when we hear that, it's an exhortation to grow in our intimacy with Jesus. It's a heart thing. It's emotional. Get this connection right. A, yes and amen to that. But what does it say right after that? Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do. 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 Don't just repent and have an emotional moment with Jesus. Repent and do the things you did at first when Jesus first touched you. What did you do when Jesus first touched you? Did you tell anybody? You did? Did you share anything with your friends and family? Did you tell anybody they needed to repent? And then someone convinced you it was false zeal and you got felt guilty and ashamed and they just con- bought into some just love people doctrine? The apostles didn't do that. The apostles didn't go and love on people for 20 years and then finally work up the courage to tell them that they were going to have to repent. Day one. Because they loved people. It was the love of Christ compelling men. You have to turn from wickedness. You have to. You have to. There's no other gospel besides that. I've I've been reading the book of Acts, and I'm looking. Show me anywhere. I'm looking for one instance where the apostles preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and didn't call people to repent and be baptized. There's not one instance. Jesus says, go into a house. Preach the gospel. If they accept you, awesome. Stay there. Preach and teach. What does he say? If they don't accept you, do what? Hang out for 20 years. Kiss their butts. Tell them how cool they are. Tell them they're going to have a destiny in Jesus. Zero. Move on. Find the person of peace. Stay there. Find the hungry, but tell the truth. It's better you tell the truth the first five minutes and know that they're resisting God than to sit there under, the, under, their, under their emotional and mental and spiritual state and being in some codependent, I need you to like me, I'm afraid that you won't like me if I tell you the truth. I could go into that. But hey, we're getting free from that. And we are. The victorious church is arising. It's arising. It really is arising. Hell's scared. Telling you right now, hell is scared. So in the above passage, Jesus says, repent and do the things you did at first. I believe that in a similar vein, the Holy Spirit is calling the church back to the origins of the faith and realigning us with the basic commission to all believers to preach the gospel and make disciples. In his letter to the Hebrews, the Apostle Paul identifies with the basic components of the Christian faith. So Paul writes to the Hebrews, he says, listen, I would love to move on and go into deeper things about the faith. But I can tell by your lifestyle and the things that you're endorsing that you haven't really fully gotten the original things I taught you. 
And he went on to say that. I'm just reading this passage, but he went on to say, and that's that, it's a scary passage. That's the one that says, anybody who's tasted of the powers of the heavenly age to come and then denies it, that's a serious passage. Now, I, I think that's a, a lot of people hear that. I don't want anyone to go, oh, well, I'm, I've committed the unpartable sin. I, if you're here in this room, that's not you. Let me just tell you that. If you're in this room, that is not you. You are okay. I'm glad you're here. Freedom in the name of Jesus, okay? But there were people, and here's what we got to understand. When Paul's saying, anybody who's tasted of the powers of the heavenly age to come, we think, oh, anybody who's had a little experience in Jesus, we're talking about the apostolic early church that's seeing demons shriek, that's seeing crippled people get up, that's seeing the lame get up, that's seeing the dead raised, that are seeing cities riot. He said, if you've seen that stuff, and you know that you know that you know that the king is Jesus and he's full of authority and power and you continue to live in a carnal lifestyle, you think you're going to be brought back to, he's like, what can else can happen? What else do you need to see? So I haven't seen, I don't think anyone in this room has seen the powers of the heavenly age to come, but we will. There's a brewing right now. There's a stirring. So he says, Here's where the elementary teachings that Paul wanted to lay down. And this is what I want to call us to. Here's the word. Here's what's happening, I believe. The Spirit is calling us back to the basics of Christianity. Here's the basics. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on to tree. So he says, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. There is such a war being fought over the doctrine of repentance right now in the church. It's unbelievable. People are scared to death to tell people they have to repent and turn from wickedness. The Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost, falls on Peter. What does he say? Repent. Be baptized. Come out of this perverse generation. Paul stands before King Agrippa. What does he say? Repent. John the Baptist is before, what is it, King Herod? Help me out. And what does he tell him? He exposes, hey, you can't be doing this. I tell you what, this culture of Christianity we live in today, the word would be, hey, God just wants to bless you and give you wisdom and governing people. And he really sees your heart. And, um, you know, it's just the love of God. John the Baptist was fiery, baby. He was eating locusts and honey in the wilderness. He, he, didn't need that. he didn't need the king's pat on his back or a couple dollars in his billfold. He told him the truth. And it cost him his head. You don't think there were some principalities and powers with their eyes on John's life? Woo! Think about that. Come on. Every time Elijah raises up, guess who else raises up? Who, who tried to kill Elijah in the Old Testament? Jezebel. And then in the New Testament, here comes Elijah. Jesus said in the spirit of, here comes John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah. And what happens? He tells the truth. He doesn't come underneath that money power structure. And he gets, the, 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 that woman couldn't stand it. The king says, you can have anything in the kingdom. What do you want? What does she want? John's head. How, and you can hear the spirit going, how dare you tell the truth? How dare you call something wicked? And I believe the enemy's doing that in our day. And we bought into it. We're intimidated. We want people to like us, and we think we're being kind, but we're really coming underneath the domination of demonic powers, and we think we're being kind and sentimental. There's, I'm telling you, I can feel there's a roar. There's a war being fought. So repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instructions about baptisms, plural. 
baptisms, water and spirit, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and uh uh-oh, here's the last one. What does it say? Eternal judgment. This is Christianity 101. We're so afraid to talk about that nowadays. We want to act like, let's just, well, don't, let's just say the love of God. Let's not, I mean, sinners in the hand of those doom and gloom, that, that's the old school. Let's, let's just tell people. But the problem is we're not seeing anyone get born into the kingdom. Charles, Charles Finney Day, he saw 500,000 in two weeks. In China right now, there's 10,000 a day coming into the kingdom. Let me tell you, they are preaching this gospel of repentance. Can promise you that. So eternal judgment. These are the basics of the faith. The basics. So, I, so he's calling the church back to it. So this is the last thing I want to hit. The normal Christian birth. And everyone in this room is a believer. If you're not, then come see me. We want to pray for you. And if you're not a believer, I want to tell you what you need to do to be a believer. And if you are a believer and you haven't done one of these four things or experienced one of these four things, I want to call you to it. I'm going to give you opportunity to do it. Because can I be honest with you? I know lots of believers that are believers, but they've never repented. They've never actually turned from sin. And they've been convinced they don't have to. Now, I struggle with sin sometimes. Overeating has been a sin that I have struggled with, as you can tell. I'm just being honest. But I'm better than I was last year. I'm, I'm going. I'm fighting the good fight. I'm resisting. I'm doing CrossFit three days a week, and it's murder. My buddy Ryan's doing it five days a week. I'm thinking, you know, come on. He's killing me over here. So I want to say there's nothing wrong with struggling, but when we're not, ex- we got to exhort one another to repent and turn. If we're not different a week, if I'm not different a month than I am today, and I'm just kind of lounging, I'm struggling again, bro. Struggling again. So, first one, here's the normal Christian birth. Four things. Imagine you got a car, four cylinders. I think most believers' struggles in, in the Christian life are because one of those four didn't get, didn't, they didn't have a, they had a negligent midwife. There's a lot of negligent midwives in the kingdom right now. They're not birthing people properly. They're lying to them. To, get, to build ministries, to gain followings, to get tithe. Just being honest, it's just it's real. So here's the four things, right? The first one is repentance. Okay, and I'm going to go through each one real quick. You repent from your sins. This is on page three. Mark 1, uh, John put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee. Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. Acts 2. When the, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Peter said... They said, brother, what shall we do? Simple answer. Repent and be baptized. It wasn't, well, just, you know, just, you know, chill and let, let people love on you. And love. I mean, there's all this vernacular. And we're afraid to like, say with the truth to people. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, I love this. This is Acts 17. This leaves us all without excuse. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere, every single man everywhere should do what? Repent. And then what does he say? Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world through righteousness. Now, that's not soft selling. I mean, that's an intense message. Like, we just met you. Here we are, this group of Christians. We'd like you to be in our crew. But before you do, you got to understand something. You have to turn from sin because there's a judgment coming. Ah! Judgment? People don't need to hear about judgment. They need to hear about the love of God. 
Let me tell you something. I saw a quote from A.W. Tozer. It says, people in, the, people in the world, they hate hearing the word of repent. People in hell wish they could hear it one more time. And I just believe we're moving into, we've got to re-embrace these truths of our faith. Eternal judgment, that's one of the five basic things of our faith. We can't hide it. We can't be ashamed of the gospel. So he says, um, repentance is in thought. We think God's way. We understand God's holiness, words of repentance. We confess sin, specific sins to one another. So if you're leading someone to the Lord, they're coming to repentance. It's not just a happening in here. They need to confess sin one to one another. And it brings it into the light so we can help each other overcome the struggles, the snares. And it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Okay, the next one is deeds of repentance. There, it's not enough to think it. It's not enough to say it. There has to be actual deeds of repentance. Acts 26 says, For those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. The deeds part has been totally separated from the biblical doctrine of repentance that the apostles clearly preached time, and it's so consistent. It's absolutely consistent. The only way you could think otherwise is if you're not reading the Bible anymore. Okay, and I go through, on this one here in the bottom, you can check that out, but I just go through a, a little, what I believe is a heresy that's gaining ground in the church, and it comes out of Revelation, where it says the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Some of you have read that doctrine, or read that, that, um, that scripture, and so here's, and I just want to kind of point that out because it's important, because I think it is a strategy of the enemy in this issue of repentance. There's a place where we say Jesus was slain before the world was ever built, before the cosmos, before the planets were built, Jesus was slain. And I'm okay with saying that. Like, hey, that gives us confidence to think, man, this was in the heart of God forever. The problem arises when we say that he eradicated sin completely. Sin's not even a real thing anymore. Sin only exists in our mind. There's this like form of repentance where it's like this mind psych. We psych ourselves out of the concept of sin. We go, it's not even really, it's only real because you believe it's real. So if you just stop believing it's real, you're, not, you're free from it, which is totally, I believe, is a heretical teaching that is so far removed from the way the apostles taught and preached the gospel. But I'm telling you, I watched a, a video, and I was going to say it's a man named John Crowder who does, I love a lot of his stuff. He's funny. I love, there's a lot of truth and liberty in what he says, and I, I mean, I would love to be friends with him. But he believes this doctrine. And I watched, a, I watched a missions trip or some young adults went with him on a missions trip. And they're preaching the gospel, so they think, to this group of man. They call him boy man or whatever in Thailand, these boy sex slaves. And the guy, this kid's like, yeah, it was so cool. I preached the gospel. But I told him, like, man, Jesus is already in you. Like, you just got to, like, you got to, I, I think he began to see that Jesus was already in him. Perpetuation for sins already happened. It's already been done. They just got to wake up and. You know, this whole the concept of we take this Greek concept of repentance, we kind of, it's a mind psych. But the apostles never talk like that. People didn't have Jesus in them. People didn't have to just like psych themselves out of sin. There was a real repentance, a turning and a receiving of the Spirit of Christ. All right, so moving on. So repentance, and I'm going to finish here soon. That's the first one. Second one is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one that we're, that we're um, accustomed to, and I think we do that really well for the most part. And each, and each stream in the body of Christ does different ones of these wells. I'll be honest with you, the Baptist church in repentance, I've been all around the world, met with different leaders because of my job. You'd be surprised how many powerful people that are, that are just leading 
huge ministries got born again and saved in a Baptist church. Because the Baptists will faithfully preach the gospel of repentance. They're going to preach it every Sunday. And you're not going to hear a whole lot else. But they will preach and you will get saved and born again in a Baptist church. And so each stream in the body of Christ does different ones of these very well. But what happens is we like, especially in the charismatic movement, we go, Baptists are religious. Like you hear all these stories of like, I grew up in a religious Baptist church, yo, and then a bro, and then I got spirit. Now I don't, now I just live how I want, man. I'm free. But it's funny because you go over to the, to the Baptist churches or even like churches. I know I have friends all over the city that go to like a reform, an Acts 29 church. Some of you know what that is. And these are kids that grew up in charismania but never heard the gospel. They never knew they had to repent. They never knew that they had to turn from sin. And so they look at the charismatics and they go, man, the Lord rescued me from all that emotionalism and confusion and brought me into a place of solid doctrine. So my heart is, each different church and stream does different strengths. My heart is the people and that we will come into the knowledge of the faith, right? So faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith is historical. Faith is personal. Historical meaning these are facts, events that actually happen. Faith is personal. It's in Jesus, not that Jesus. It's faith in a person. Faith is verbal. needs to be expressed. Faith is practical. It's something you do, not just think, feel, and say. Faith is continual. It's not a moment of faith. It's not 30 years ago I gave my life to the Lord. It's a continual process. My faith today saves me today. It's I have to be in faith today. Not, I had a moment of faith 30 years ago. I got to be in faith today. It's continual. Okay. So the next one's baptism in water. And I believe the doctrine of water baptism is going to be restored to the body of Christ. I think it's a major component and key to the victorious church arising in the nations again. Water baptism is so important. I believe so many people go through 30 years of bondage and need to get delivered from demons and inner healing ministries and everything else because they were never really told what baptism was. Can I let you in on a secret that might liberate some of you? God isn't trying to fix your old person. He's really not. He is not trying to repair who you once were and all your brokenness. But here's the other thing we don't really like either. He's also not trying to exalt you and all the good parts of who you were. And sometimes we're like, yeah, Lord, take the worst of me. But I want to keep the best of me alive because I feels good that's called ego ego self but the path to freedom is i gotta let both die i gotta let the worst parts of me and i gotta let the best parts of me all of it's gotta die and if it all dies the life i now live i live in faith in christ so the new man the new man guess how guess how many demons have influence over the new man guess how many times the new man cowers to manipulation and intimidation Guess how many times the new man has lost a struggle with sin? Guess how many times the new man has ever doubted that the father loved him? It's the alpha male. Do you know that every one of us gets to be an alpha male? If you're a born-again believer, put your hand up. You're an alpha male. Isn't that good news? We got the alpha in us. He's unstoppable. He's unbeatable. But as long as we cling to that old nature and I'm melancholic and I'm broken and let me sing emotional worship songs because I'm trying to repair this soulish place in me. Oh, Lord, come close. Sometimes the Lord's like, you are lost. You need to get baptized. You need to reckon yourself as dead. You need to come under the waters of baptism, son. Get into, get into the life. 
Because Jesus isn't going to fix us. But we have to reckon ourselves as dead. And then when we come up out of that water, that new nature, those demons can't touch us anymore. They don't have any influence. I can tell you right now, when I'm in faith and I'm in that new man, there's not a demon in hell that can touch me. There's not a fear in the atmosphere that can penetrate me. I could walk into any environment and it doesn't phase me. But if I get into that old nature, if I try and resurrect that old nature, and I'll tell you, times it tries to come out of the grave. Sometimes somebody will say something to me and I'll say, brother, you're about to resurrect my old man. Because, hey, I was a fighter with my old nature. So sometimes things happen and that old man, he wants to pop up and I got to keep him down because it may feel good to bring him up in a moment. But in a couple hours, now I'm in that old man. Guess who has authority to mess with me again? I remember one dream I had. I was going around preaching the gospel door to door. And I'm dragging this dead body like this. And I'm seeing these rattlesnakes on the side of the road as I'm going to share the gospel. And they go, they go to snip at me, but they're snipping at the dead body that I'm dragging. And the Lord's saying, they can't touch you, buddy. But you're always going to carry around this body of death. Until that resurrection, when we get a new body, it's like right there. And any, any moment, we can try and resurrect it. So that's what baptism does. If you've never been baptized, I want to exhort you, get baptized. If you got baptized as an infant like I did and didn't even know what it meant, get baptized again like I did. If you got baptized in a church service because you wanted to fit in and you wanted, it was all exciting and you wanted people to embrace you and love you, it's not what baptism is about. It's your old man dying. It's a funeral service and it's a new birth service. So if you've never been baptized, come see me. I want to baptize you or we want to baptize you. This is what we're moving into. All of us are responsible to do all this stuff. Any one of us can do this stuff. And there's a, there's a billion soul harvest coming in. It really is coming in. And we need all hands on deck. We all, need to, we all need to be doing these things. So come see me if you haven't been baptized in water. Moving on. Receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? This is a fun one. This is a fun one. But I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of people in charismatic Christianity that I don't think have really been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit isn't having an emotional moment in a worship service. I mean, I know lots of people, they think, oh, I got filled with the Spirit and I became emotional about Jesus. I think we do get emotional about Jesus. That's a part of it. Amen. I'm I'm emotional about Jesus and I'm grateful. I want more emotions for Jesus. But there's a real feeling of power that we have to have to live a victorious Christian life. And if you can't think of a moment in time when the power of the Holy Ghost touched you, and filled you. If you can't recall a moment in time, I want to urge you, contend for it. Contend for it. I grew up in a charismatic church. My dad's a pastor. I saw the sick healed. I saw demons come out. I got laid hands and I fell down, or should I fell down? I mean, I saw it all. Inner healing ministry, prophetic ministry, healing. I mean, all of it. And I didn't even know the gospel. And I don't fault my, my parents at all. I fought a system. I fought the enemy. So I'm in college. I'm just to quickly tell you my t- testimony. I'm just going to end with this. So I'm in college. And I was studying philosophy because I, I just was hungering for truth. And I was studying communism and socialism because I loved the radicalness of those people who would give their lives to see people and humanity brought out of oppression. I thought the church was cold and could care less for anybody other than themselves. That was my thought at the time. I tried to go to campus ministries 
in churches, but they're mostly interested in pressing the opposite sex and having a comfortable life. And I was so gripped with the plight of humanity, not because I was special. I think it was just something the Spirit put in me at a young age. And I'm thinking, man, I can't buy into this version of life that's just so self and narcissistic. I don't want to live the American dream, especially at the expense of the exploitation of other countries. And it, that's just real. I'm not a liberal. I'm not left wing. I'm not right wing. The whole bird's sick. But I will say that that is real. So, so anyway, so I'm struggling. I'm like, Lord, you got to show me. And so I began studying the Bible. And I see this awesome radical man named Jesus and these apostles. I'm thinking, who are these people? What is this thing called the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is radical. These guys are amazing. So I'm reading it and I'm, and I'm having to go through repentance because I read about it. I mean, I couldn't go anywhere where someone would tell me the truth. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. No one would tell me and confront my wicked heart. That, and I was a know-it-all. I was a pastor's kid, smart, intelligent, mildly good-looking, mildly humorous. That's arguable. I thought I knew it all. Nobody could tell me anything, nothing. And so no one would confront my arrogance. No, everyone was afraid to hurt my feelings. But I read that Bible. I'll tell you what, Jesus isn't afraid to do that. So I had to repent. I, could t- I, mean, I, remember, I remember one time in my repentance process, the Holy Spirit says, you need to go to this girl and apologize. I didn't do anything wrong in the big sense of being wrong, but in the heart of God, it was wrong. I'm, I don't even know this girl's name. I'm in a school of 36,000 people. So I go to school that day. She walks right by me. And I think, oh, didn't do anything. And I'm like, okay, that was just a coincidence. This stuff isn't really real, right? (laughs) It's real until you got to do something, right? So then I thought, okay, Lord, no, 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 no. Okay, okay, you give me one more chance. I'll do it. Next time I'll do it. So I'm in, that night I'm in a night class and I'm I'm in a philosophy class and I go to have a a dinner with my buddy. We do it every time around nine o'clock. Nobody would be in the cafeteria. It's just him and I and we're joking. So we go in there, we're eating our chicken nuggets, having a good time. I had totally forgotten about it. I'm walking up, I'm throwing away my tray. At the corner of my eye, there's one person in a cafeteria of 30, where there's a school of 36,000 people, there's one girl sitting dead center in that cafeteria. And my stomach just went, Boop. and the Lord's going, son, will you do it? So I go over and it was as awkward as you could imagine. And I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. Remember, do you remember me? Or, you know, and, and I apologize. And I thought it was going to be this great moment. And it was like, not, it was embarrassing. She's like, okay, weird. But it wasn't about her. It was about my heart. And shortly after that, I went through that process of repentance. It was a three-month process. I had to change. I had to go back and make restitution to people I had wronged. Sometimes that's paying money back. Sometimes that's, it's a real process of repentance. It's real. So the Lord says, if you want me to fill you, you need to repent. So then comes the filling. I read the book of Acts. I'm reading about this power. I'll be honest with you. I wasn't going to a church at the time. I wasn't listening to Jesus culture. It didn't exist. I wasn't getting all emotional about Jesus over worship music. I wasn't trying to fit in anywhere. I was reading the hardcore book of Acts and believing with hardcore faith that that power that touched them was either real or they made it up to propagate a religion to build a, their own honor. And I was serious about it because I didn't see the power anywhere. And I said, Lord, if this power is real, then this is real. But if this power isn't real, then this whole thing is a fraud. And I began to cry out for it. So I have a dream one night. And in the dream, the Holy Spirit hits me. There's a long scenario. I won't go into all of it. I wake up and I go, well, that's just a dream. Then I'm on my porch. And I might have even been smoking a cigar or a black and mild. I was fighting nicotine at the time. I chewed tobacco for six years. And so I'm like, well, it's not chewing tobacco. It's smoking a cigar, right? So I kind of repented. So... So I'm there, and, right? I mean, we do that. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm smoking whatever cigar, and uh, 
And I'm sitting there, and my roommate, who I'd known my whole life, comes out with this other friend. He goes, hey, so-and-so wants you to pray for him. And so I go, the friend comes out, and I look at him in the eyes. And what happened in my dream happens right there on my porch. The power of God knocks me off my chair. No one's laying hands on me. There's no worship music playing. There's no emotional frenzy worked up where we're trying to, like, summon the Holy Spirit to do something. It was just faith in the Word of God. It was a good God who saw my heart, saw my cry. That power knocks me off the chair. I go to speak, and I scream under the power of the Holy Spirit. I come up with new senses. And all of a sudden, I go to pray for this guy, and I put my hands on him, and I can feel the things that are harassing his life. And all of a sudden, the spirit realm opens up. And so here's my best friend praying with them. And I had had enough training with my parents knowing about bondage and unforgiveness. And so I say to the kid, you know, he's, they're all shaken because they saw me just get knocked off my chair. And so I say to the guy, I said, you need to, get, I said, you need to forgive your father. And so my best friend who's known me my whole life, he's going, I forgive my father too. <laughs> I forgive my father too. <laughs> and the power of God just breaks out. And the life of Jesus began to manifest. And I mean, people got born again. But you know what? I got convinced out of all that slowly over the years and bought into a system and a form of spirituality and Christianity that isn't doing that and began to value church meetings over inviting people into my home and them experiencing the power of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what I believe the Holy Spirit is doing. I believe there's a move of God here right now. It's already here. It's not coming. It's here if we'll move in faith and step into it. I believe that it includes going back to the basics of faith, repentance, baptism, filled with the Spirit, faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to see a harvest come in. It's real. I believe it's going to look very different than we've seen in the past. And as we close, I I told Anna I could take a little extra time. I want Stephanie Yunt to come up. And some of you may know Stephanie, you may not. Sylvia's cousin and Ryan Yunt. Some of you may know Ryan. But a couple weekends ago, some of us at the Fellowship of the Burning Heart, we had a retreat. And we listened to some different teachings, and the Lord's really been stirring us for the harvest and seeing souls get born again into the kingdom again. I want to I be like the book of Acts. I want to eat in the homes of you guys and just have fun eating, and then just, there'll just be numbers added to us daily. 10, 15, the word of God prevailing in our city. I just want I just so want that. I don't even care. It could be at IHOP Jacks. It could be at the Baptist Church. It doesn't matter. I hope it happens everywhere. So we come back. And our hearts are really stirred about this revival that we believe is going to break out. And we had talked a lot about the harvest and just going back to the simple gospel. Not trying to have like super crazy revival. Like it used, there's a season for everything. But just feeling a need to just preach a simple gospel. Because people need to know the truth again. And so we come back and Stephanie, my wife shared with Stephanie kind of about the weekend. And so she had a dream. And I just want her to share that. Um, yeah, so... I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mom in Orange Park. I, those are my two little kids back there with my husband. And um, I'm really thankful that Steve asked me to share this tonight because I just, um, you know, I know the Lord gives me dreams. And these last two weeks, really, in June, it's just like something clicked in me. And one day I was washing dishes, and it's like out of my mouth, I just said, I pray for a revival in Jacksonville. And I was just like, where did that come from, Lord? And um, I've heard Sylvia say this. The verse that says he'll give you the desires of your heart 
is like he puts the desires in there and pulls them back out. And our, and our desire is for our city to turn to the Lord and for our state and is for an outpouring of the spirit in our nation. Um, and so it's like almost every night I've been having these dreams, different dreams with um, different believers in the body of Christ. And one of the first dreams that I had was uh, the city of Jacksonville. It was it was just um, snippet after snippet after snippet after snippet. It was like scenes. The dream was, and I'll just share one of the one of the parts of the dream was. Um, revi- I don't I don't even like to use the word revival, but it was like the Holy Spirit was was um, was moving in our city, and I don't know if it was here at the house of prayer or my uncle's church in um, the west side. It's also called Temple of Prayer, actually, in Spanish, Templo de Oración. And um, it's a little bitty church over in the west side off Lenox. And um, I don't know which place I was in because I think it applies to both. And I think it applies to what the Lord is doing in these different areas. And there was just someone who came in from outside of our city and just doing what Steve did tonight, preaching the gospel, preaching repentance, really like basic, not fancy type of things. And it was this people in here in this room like this listening and the Holy Spirit was moving and it was heavy and it wasn't like. Like Steve said, it wasn't like people were falling out or it was just the Lord was moving in, in each person's heart and you could feel it. You could feel it in the room. And, um, like I said, there are different parts to the dream, but in the dream we were, we were thinking, well, now what do we do? What do we do next? Cause in the Bible, Jesus, he didn't stay in one spot. Like we build a church now and we, that's where we go to get filled or whatever. Um, but he traveled and he went, right? And so in my dream, we were like, okay, well, where do we go next? What do we do next? And so I just want you to picture, actually, we can look up at this cross. I just want you to look at this cross for a second and um, picture with me that this is the city of Jacksonville, right? And, and the crosshairs is downtown here. Yeah. You can see... Um, 10, running, right, west, east, north, south. And he showed me Jacksonville with the cross over top of it like that. And um, it was like the crosshairs of our city converging in downtown here. And um, I was trying to explain to you where my uncle's church was. It would be over here on the left. (laughs) But it was like these literal physical places where the Lord was just moving And another location um, in my dream where the Holy Spirit was moving was actually um, Grace Church. And um, I was thinking, oh, cool, they're right there in that, you know, I-10 corridor area. Um, But the Lord was just, it it was like an arrow. So if you put like an arrow on the bottom, it's just the Lord moving, you know, down across our city with his presence. And um, that was before a lot of this it was before any of this stuff started happening in our state. And um, 
man, just each day I'm waking up and I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? And then hearing of Natasha just this week, it's just like, Lord, what are you doing? And, and that night I had, was praying for her healing because the message had gone out to pray. And I was upstairs in the nursery with my baby. And it kind of crossed my mind like, oh, what if we lose her? I was like, no, no, Lord. And the Lord said to me, um, Satan is a liar. And I thought, okay, that means she's going to be healed, you know. But the thing is, is that death has no sting. Death has no sting for us as believers, but to a lost and dying world, that's the end. Um, I just want to pray into that dream and, and Steve's word tonight, and that the Lord would stir our hearts. And um, is it okay if we stand? Just as Anna's going to go into worship, I think, after this. But Oh, clip. Steve's going to show a video. But let's just put our hands out like we're receiving from the Lord. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and visit us with the power of your presence. Come and burn inside of our hearts. And we just want to... We don't know what you're doing. We don't know how you're moving. We want to be found at your feet in front of you. And we want to be just in the way when you come through our nation. And Florida is just a state where, where people from all over the world just come to Florida, to our state. And even the year I moved here, I'm thinking of the despair I felt to be in this state that I just thought was horrible. For such a time as this, for such a time as this, just speak that over over your own story. For such a time as this, thank you for bringing Steve and Charlene back here. Thank you for the... um, the downies even that I'm thinking of who are moving back here. Just just wake us up, God, and Holy Spirit, we ask you for a fresh fall. Just filling us with your presence, bringing us back to the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.